Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land. And our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors. It's not just land, it's a lifestyle, and we love it. The four of us sitting here this morning having a good time on the radio. Oh, yeah. Talking about all kinds of outdoor subjects. Well, I know you two guys with MDC, man, you wear a bunch of hats. You know, you got a lot of territory to cover, lots of things to do. But then you get these odd jobs, the kind of off-the-wall <laughs> things that you have to do as well. And I know both of you are involved with the hog situation and CWD. Yep. But in our neighborhood here, what's, what's going on with the hog situation? So the the hogs here really an ebb and flow situation. I've been dealing with them since 2012. Um, I saw my first hog in Phelps County in 2006 on the trout creeks, and that's really where my worry is: is these trout right, streams right. Um, with the wetlands and the, the, a lot of sensitive areas we have around them. But every time we think we really get a control of them, when we think we're really clamping down, then we get a new flux and a new wave. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of these new waves aren't just pigs that are moving from Texas County and coming upstream from bigger populations, some of these pigs are being dropped off. And we know they're being dropped off. We're we're not catching the folks. Um, These guys are smart. I mean, let's be honest. They are not dumb people, Uh, no matter what the government might say or things we kind of push. These these guys know what they're doing. They know their business, and they're they're being – smart about it. So these hogs are getting dropped off. So then we go back in and, and we're, we're getting a lot of these sounders pretty quick, but man, these things do damage and in a hurry, in a hurry. And, and as we were just talking about off air, you know, these private landowners, that's who I really feel for. Yeah. Oh, I do too. The, these guys are dropping on forest service. Well, pigs are just like deer and every other, they don't know property lines. Exactly. You know, if they knew exactly. property lines, it'd be a whole lot easier to deal with. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And if you've experienced this, we were just talking off air a little bit. I mean, somebody's mind had a area at for years and years and years, just got destroyed by pigs that people were, were hauling in. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I understand. I like to hunt pigs, too, but I've always done it in South Texas, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that can, that can be a game animal, but we certainly don't classify them as a game animal because we are starting to see the horrendous effects of what hogs can do. Yeah. You know, I had a friend, Vi Burnham, I don't know, a decade or so ago that uh, bought a, I think, about 250-acre farm. The first year he had that farm, he killed over 300 pigs on yep. it. That's a lot of livestock. That's a lot. And he still kills over 50 every year Mm -hmm. on his private property. But, you know, it's got to be frustrating for you guys. I'm not out there every day dealing with it. It's not on my mind every day. Mm -hmm. But you probably feel the phone calls all the time and listen to the frustrated landowners. And, yeah, I really do feel for them. If I had a big, beautiful place and, and, you know, a bunch of hogs move in overnight and they root up my winter wheat field, I'm going to be ticked. Yeah. And, and see, and that's exactly where we're at. So the, the employee I had before, Blake, her family farm um, down in that Viburnum area, um, I kept telling her three years ago, let's go check your mom's. It's January. Let's go check your mom's pasture. She's like, we have never had a problem. There's been hogs over on the mines, but we've never had them right, here. Right. She had two horses, 25 acres of hay. That That's where her main hay was for her horses. And yep. they're big horse people. And we showed up right after first of the year, and 25 acres was dirt. It looked like it was prepared, wow. To, wow. prepared to go. And she's like, I was just 
here two weeks before Christmas. It was perfect. She goes, I was deer hunting during muzzleloader mm-hmm. season. And this, you know, where's my clover? Where's, where's this? And she's like, who pays for this? Yeah. She's like, I can't afford to reseed this and redo this and rework this. And those are the people I feel for. And that, that story is more common. And, and, yeah, and how many thousands of small landowners are there out there that's got 10, 15, 20, mm-hmm. maybe 100 acres? But you know what? Uh, man, I do it every year. I plant my small food plots and, and everything. But that's money that comes out of my pocket, you know, for fertilizer and everything else. And it mounts up. That might be a few hundred dollars that man, I could have bought a new fishing rod with, you know, yeah. or, or whatever, you exactly. know. Exactly. And, and Daryl's probably seen this in his uh, business. But mm-hmm. uh, where I turkey hunt, I got a very big landowner. But the the charcoal company, they, they took a couple smaller pieces 15 years ago. And one of the guys that bought them was a young kid from Iron County. And I said, why are you coming here from Iron County? He said, well, you know, my whole life I've had plenty of deer and turkeys. He's like, now we have plenty of pigs, and we don't have many deer and turkeys on our 120 acres. So I needed yeah. a new place to be. Yeah, yeah. It, it can be quite – you know, we see it a lot, and we have a, a ton of properties for sale with pigs on it. And, and you do see, you know, the ebb and the flow and the change yes. of, you know, the turkeys and the deer population and the whole thing. So, I mean, if somebody's wanting some hog properties, we got several down by Ironton <laughs> right now. They're just loaded up. You know, yeah. go to livingthedreamland.com. we got pictures and everything. But – I think like what me and Bill talk about all the time is we need to eradicate these hogs, yes, get rid of them totally. And like in Viburnum, my farm's not terribly far from there where I live. And uh, uh, we saw like our first pig right over there in the last, I don't know, probably a month, I would say. Uh-huh. But the golf course over there got, what, decimated oh, yeah. just oh, with yeah. how many hogs that were out there? Yeah, but, yeah. So, Nick, when you guys find these pigs coming in from other areas, are I guess you DNA sample them, or how do you – I mean, I'm sure you know where they're coming from. Um, I, the So the United States Department of Agriculture, APHIS, uh, Animal Plant Health Inspection, they're kind of the leads on all this. And, yes, they do have a geneticist, so they're trappers. A lot of things Blake and I are doing, we're just finding pigs and getting the trappers to them. There's guys right, who are right. way better right. at this than us. Um, but those trappers – yeah, they're taking blood samples. They're taking ears. And, and one of the biggest PSAs I could ever have was back in 2012, we were doing this, and we were having a big effort down on Mill Creek, right outside of town, on one of the trout creeks. We had a big group yeah. of hogs move in on Forest yeah. Service there. And uh, 70% of the hogs we caught out of 354 or something in the summer had one of the three diseases that are transmittable to humans and livestock. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So. If you're not handling these things correctly, if you're not cooking them correctly, burulosis, trichinosis, um, I know feline rabies was one of or feline AIDS. They're carriers for so much stuff. Wow. And they have stuff that you can contract. We don't have that problem with deer and turkeys and our other right, native correct, animals. Correct. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these are things that I went there. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to get to eat some hogs. Let's, you know, I'm all about this. I'll butcher them myself. And then, you know, the, the people with APHIS are like, you don't want to mess with these hogs. They are disgusting. <laughs> and, you know, you don't see it in them, but they're carrying these diseases. And right. uh, that's really not a good thing for even our native wildlife. And if, if I'm a cattle farmer, we don't really have pigs in the area. But if I'm a cattle farmer, burulosis and those things, they bother me. That, that You don't want those Oh, yeah, pigs you don't or, want that around. Yeah. So, Nick, if, a, if I'm a private landowner, like for some of our clients that live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, mm-hmm. if they see that first hog or they start seeing signs of the hogs, who, who do they call at MDC to say, hey, let's get somebody on the property to get these taken care of? Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways. You can call your local agent if you uh-huh. have their number, if you know how to get a hold of them. You can go to our website and get get on the feral hogs. You can report them right there on our website. And then there's a whole chain. It said you're going to have Matt Peter in here next week. So Matt's right. going to be our lead for... 
a few counties in this area where it'll come straight to him and he'll start dispatching the resources. But we are, MDC is in the in the business of eradication right now. And I think it's, I really truly think it's the right business to be in um, because I love deer and turkey hunting. And oh, that's yeah. what Me I, too. I, I do too. And we, everybody knows pigs, know they'll eat anything, including yep. you, if they get the opportunity. Yeah. But they're so hard on ground nesting birds and oh, they're yeah. tearing up soil and, and causing erosion problems. We could just go on and on and mm-hmm. on. But I encourage people that uh, if you really don't understand the hog situation, you want to know what could be in the future, what how horrible these things can get, just do a little research about Texas. Yep. You know, I was looking at a map some months ago, and it's showing in red, and we had you know a few locations around the state. Texas was solid red. They're, yep. having, they're having problems in the suburbs now, mm-hmm. and, and they have hunted them religiously. But Sarah Parker Polly, the director of the Conservation Department, was telling one of our media groups a few months back that she spoke to the director of DNR down there, and he had told her point blank that the word First thing they ever allowed to happen in the state of Texas was for the public to hunt hogs. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for us, so many people, to think through that. But we're scattering them out, you know, making it difficult. Yeah, you kill one. Yeah, I kill one one time. I tickle pink. He's still hanging up. Ugly thing. It's like a big old red Duroc, man, but big, about 350-pound pig, and uh, he still hangs in in my office. My wife still hates that pig. But, uh, yeah, kill one, and there's jillions of them in Texas, you know. But to, I know the battle you guys fight every day, and your trappers are out there. People are messing with their traps or yes. killing one or two pigs out of a sounder. You're scattered the rest of them out, and hogs are smart. You know, if, if you're bothering them, they're going to move. Yep. That's all there is to it. Yeah, and I, I just like to say thank you guys both because that's something that I that our private landowners, honestly, most of them are exactly on this side of the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, they want them eradicated. They're not. You know, again, it, it affects property values too. So yeah. uh, most landowners realize that. Yeah, and so one last thing on our side. Um, one thing the public does have to realize: people like Blake and I, we understand it's fun to hunt hogs. We would. Do it to a sense. I mean, running dogs. I got bird dogs. I mean, running dogs is one of the best things you can do. Sure. I understand that side of it. I understand, and I feel for them. Sure. But these things, they're not native. Or our landscape has not evolved with them, that's, and they do more damage than good. That's exactly no right. But MDC, stay after the hogs. <laughs> Guys, there's a great deal of things to talk about about the outdoors right now. You know, it's... Is it spring or summer yet? Is it officially summer yet? Well, I don't know Not until the yet. 21st. 21st. June 21st is official summer day. Well, June, uh, summer's half over by June 21st. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly these days, you know. We were talking last week a little bit about uh, blackberry winter. Mm-hmm. You guys know what that is. I don't think. Did you know? I, no, I he didn't I, know what Blackberry Winter was. I, yeah, I think I missed that segment. Yeah, we experienced it, I think, uh, early part of this month. You know, mm-hmm. when it gets yeah. so cool. Did it frost enough anywhere to do any damage to anything that you guys know of? You know, uh, there was a frost the first week of May that got my black gum tree in my side yard. And wow. It dropped its leaves, and they've now came back. Um, I was down in Perryville the last week in a turkey season, and when I went out Saturday morning, birds were gobbling hard, but it was pure frost. Um, we covered all the plants in the valley my in-laws live in right. outside of Perryville. I mean, it was a hard frost down there. Yeah, I got pretty frosty at the house. I know I, I had one tomato plant. I, I covered it, but I guess I put I put a coffee can over it. I guess I put it too close to the plant because it burns some of the leaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lost one tomato plant, so that's that's not too bad, but it got pretty cool. And, of course, my big question is, and I'm sure you guys too always, what's it going to do to the ap- acorn crop? Yeah. 
that's a forester guy question. You know, yeah. Acorns last fall were so random. Um, the yep. farm I hunt on south of St. James, when I got there this spring, scouting turkeys, there were acorns everywhere. It's yeah, the first. I, I had lots of acorns. But mm-hmm. you go like around Little Prairie or you go to the Woods and K Woods, there was no acorns to be found in places. That's exactly so. right. And that's what uh, this blackberry winter does for you. You get those late frosts. And I haven't heard any grumbling out of the uh, grape farmers, but I'm I'm sure they got nipped a little bit too. I'm sure they did. So does that that frost just where it hits cause that to be spotty then, Nick? Or I, I guess that? it really does. Okay. Um, so some places might frost more than others. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, you know. A lot of times in the lower bottoms next to the streams, things get frosted over pretty good. Anything that's lower, that cold air is going to settle. You sure. Know? Sure. But. You take some of your favorite deer hunting or turkey hunting hollows, and they get zapped, the oak trees. There's not going to be acorns there. They may not be your favorite spot coming yep. <laughs> this year because we know the deer and turkey are going to be where, where the foods are. You yep. know. But uh, let's get back to Little Prairie Lake. Uh, I was saying that's such a fond place to me because I've, I've been using it for 40 years now. When I first came to this part of the world, I did a little research. Uh, they were called community lakes back then. They don't mm-hmm. still use that term, do they? Um, not for our MDC-owned lakes, no. For some of the uh, partner lakes, like Burwan here in town, I help right. manage it. Or um, in other places in the state, they still call those community lakes. But, but our MDC-owned lakes, like... Uh, Little Prairie out there now. We don't use right. that term on those. Well, I, I did my research, and it was really tough to do back in those days, mm-hmm. you know. You're talking uh, 73 or so. Uh, golly, computers were just getting to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, at 73, Little Prairie was on its only second year being open, third year being open for fishing. Exactly. But I did the research, and I discovered that uh, Little Prairie was one of two lakes in the whole entire state that you could waterfowl hunt on. Uh, I had it to myself for years till I opened my big mouth. <laughs> and you're still talking about it. Still talking about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. So, well, Nick, when you when you manage a lake like that, I mean, what what all, what all is involved with kind of like your day-to-day duties, like at that particular lake? I mean, what are you looking for? I'm just out of curiosity. I'm just yeah, wondering. so it's a mixture of the biology and mm-hmm. having good fishing with mm-hmm. what the people want. Okay. Because um, if the anglers aren't happy, then if, they, if people, everybody's going to bitch. That's just what happens. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, if, if your majority of your anglers aren't happy or aren't, aren't getting, then you, you really got to balance it. Okay. And uh, so I've been here 15 years, managing this lake for 15 years. And um, when I first started, it was still, Bill can probably tell you, from the day it was built until about 2005 or six, it was a really muddy lake. It had mm-hmm. more, it more than about two foot of depth that you could really see. Okay. It was a shad-based lake. Had big bass, um, still had a lot of bass, but bluegill weren't great, red deer weren't great, crappie weren't great. Um, we stocked more catfish in it than you could ever imagine, about 3,000 a year. Oh, my gosh, that's a lot. Um, for, for so almost, is, is that what the public wants, is catfish pr- primarily? So um, the public really um, – I got a segment of the public that really wants good bass fishing. I got the bank fishing segment that just wants to catch stuff, and that's where the cat fishermen are at. But, yeah, okay. Okay. a lot of cat fishing out there. So over the years, it's really evolved. Um, we cleared up the lake. It's got a ton of plants. We've been working on the plants for 10 years now. Um, they're exotic. So you're, you're trying to balance that with a budget. I only have $2,000 um, to manage vegetation in a lake um, a year. A 100-acre lake? A 100-acre. Yeah. Well, so that doesn't go for. That's actually to manage all seven of my lakes, not just yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, my wow. my jaw just hit the ground. Exactly. I spend more than that on like a three-acre lake. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 To manage well, the water. And you're doing a great job if that's your budget. Oh, he's improved it greatly yeah. in the last decade and hopefully people will understand that's why you don't just see huge results overnight right yeah, you right. know it's not because he doesn't have the ability 
to do that because you can change things quick, quickly. But we all know about money and budgets. And oh, he, yeah, yeah. And he's spread extremely thin. Plus, he's got how many thousands of other acres of water to take care of yeah, I mean, we in got, three counties. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, 100 miles of the Gasconade, 50 miles of the Big Piney, Ruby-Doo, plus all the trout fisheries. Oh, wow. What part of the Big Piney do you do next? So from Texas County line to the confluence. Oh, okay. Very so cool. I manage yeah. that whole thing. That's one of my favorites. I love fishing. Oh, mine too. One of yeah. beautiful, beautiful strength. But things have improved uh, so greatly over at Little Prairie. Ever since I've been here, I've heard people talk about, uh, the last 30 years anyway, the big red ears. And mm-hmm. I dabble around a little bit and didn't really fish hard for them. I, I, did, I hunted over there more than I fished, but I like to go over and catch the occasional bass. But uh, I got to talking to a few people, including Nick here, and found out a little bit more about those red ears. I've been putting hurt on them last few weeks. Good. <laughs> Blake put the hurt on them the other night. Uh, yeah, don't, right. don't you catch them all, Blake. I got <laughs> I got numbers on them. I made sure I put the females back. I there kept you go. the males, you know, but good, good I put guy. those females, they were they were ready to pop and spawn. They were, yeah. the nests were built. They were ready to go. Yeah. You, you betcha. And I, I kind of discovered a spot when the lake was a little lower a few summers ago and found just look like, gosh, 200 beds in one spot, you know. And so, that's a sweet spot. And I kind of find it now, this vegetation, you know, that kind of crowds some of it. But if you notice, I carry a long gig pole in my mm-hmm. boat without the gig on it. And I use that not only sometimes get myself unstuck, but yeah. also I can punch in water several feet deep and find pea gravel. Yep. And Red ears seem to hang out on a pea gravel a lot. Oh, they do. They do. But So here's how people can really affect a lake. Um, the, you said the red ear have come on strong, and they really have since about 2010. Um, they've came on pretty strong. The reason being, when the dorms let out here at MS&T, and kids have aquariums and things in their dorm rooms, they don't like to kill them. So they take them to Burwan, Schumann, and Little Prairie. So somebody dumped a snail that you can buy that is exotic. You can buy it at, the, at the, any of the aquatic stores that sell fish and stuff for your aquarium. They dumped them in there, and they took off like wildfire. Oh. Ready or snail eaters. Um, they love snails. That's why they're called shell crackers down south. Right. So uh, when whoever helped us out by putting that snail in there, it took me two years to get it identified to even get somebody that knew exactly what snail, <laughs> what it, snail was. it was. Yeah, ah. um, had to go to a guy in Vermont to finally figure that out. But since those snails have really taken off, the red ear population has just boomed in yeah. that lake. Um, and it is one person's careless act because it's an right. exotic species. It has no natural predators, but those red ear are really liking it. So then it has a positive outcome as well. For some part, the only where place that snail's been researched was associated with largemouth bass decline, and we were seeing that for those first three or four years. We we're seeing a decline in the lake, and I'm like, oh, what, what's this? Is this snail really doing it here, sucking up nutrients? But those red ear now have, have caught up to it and controlled it, and now the bass have taken back off. True. But those are the things we manage. That's how we. we, we that's, cool. that's why we're out there. That's why people get upset times when we're out looking at stuff or we're messing with their fishing. But if we're not watching those things, we don't know what's going on, and I can't explain. So, this. Nick, how do you even? Um, I mean, what made you look into like? Oh well, I'm seeing more red ear. What's causing that? I mean, what's the the science behind that? Because it, yeah. it intrigues me. Well, what was really behind it was I started looking at the bank and it was just littered with snails where it uh-huh. never been before. Okay. A little black snail, little those little black round snails. Oh, okay, yeah, they're they're native to China. And they're common to buy in the aquarium trade. They clean the algae off the glass of your aquariums. That's why people uh-huh. buy them. Okay. Um, they go up and down, but then they put them in a productive lake. Little Prairie is a productive lake. It really, for the Ozarks, it's a very productive lake. And, uh, yeah, I was seeing those snails yeah. uh, in, in concert with recording those in our data saying, hey, this snail is really taken off. Then all of a sudden you look at our fish collection data from the spring and I'm like, wow, the red ear have really taken off. 
all right, they're seven inches this year, they're eight inches this year. And since about 2014, they've been nine inches right. pretty on average, sure. and, which is a really good fat red ear yes, to clean and keep. And, oh, that's huge, and yeah. it goes right along with those snail densities we're seeing. Well, that's so. interesting. Yeah. Well, is that the same snail as we see like at Merrimack Spring? No, it is not. Not at all? No. No, they, um, these get much bigger. So when, like when we're dipping, we're getting them um, quarter size, oh, up to wow. size of a quarter. They're they're a type of mystery snail. Um, they're not the band one uh, per se, but we have some native mystery snails as well in the uh, in the U.S., but not from Missouri. Yeah. Um, but it, it gets the size of a quarter. But you know when they're producing little ones and they're breeding and they got those little little bitty snails, the juveniles, those ready are just hammering them and growing like wildfire. Wow, good so. deal. But you know that's that's something maybe Joe Blow Fishman out there doesn't think about. But you guys constantly have to be on the alert for for new species. Uh, Yes, exotics that show up like that because sometimes we really get caught with our pants down and and you know we could talk forever plants and animals mm-hmm. both uh, in fact in college I had to read a book called Alien Animals which was a real education to me about uh, plants and animals both that are here in this country we take for granted you know just assume they've always been here a lot mm-hmm. of them came over from the old country. You know, Queen Anne's yep. Lace, one of my favorite wildflowers, is, is one of them that, that came. You can talk about the heath, Robert Frost, you know, from Scotland, the heath asters mm-hmm. that we see, the little bitty white flowers of yellow center that take over fields and everything. came from Scotland. And we, mm-hmm. we could talk forever about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but that's a serious issue. It is, and, and that's what we're consciously watching for. So people complain about the uh, the main weed in Little Prairie. Well, that's Eurasian water milfoil. Waterfowl love it. That's why that lake is productive for duck hunting. It's candy to ducks and geese. Um, we cleared that lake up. The biologist started it before me. I kept doing it, so that's what cleared the lake up, got a 9-, 10-foot secchi, and that Eurasian water milfoil just boomed. And, you know, I'd never seen it before, so I'm sending it to make sure what it is when it boomed and went nuts. And, you know, we had – probably a good five years from 07 to 12 that it was really you know, nasty in the lake before the grass carp really started working on it. I'm Bill Cooper for Daryl Hyman. Thanks for joining us and keep living the dream. The Living the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Cowtown USA, Alps Outdoors, Cardiac Mountain Outfitters, The Fly Rod Journals, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, and Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm. We live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast, as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper 
an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.